Hi everybody, Ben Cohn here. This is just a quick update to the podcast. Uh, We spent the first 10-15 minutes of the show discussing the government shutdown and why this was almost certainly going to happen. In fact, Justin and I were about 100% sure that there was no way a deal was going to be reached given the MAGA caucus um, that were holding the entire government over a barrel to get what they wanted. So we didn't think this was going to happen. Anyway, we had a long discussion about what was a government shutdown going to look like, what would the political ramifications be. Uh, but it turns out miracles can happen in Washington. Um, this is from the Washington Post. A largest effort on Capitol Hill Saturday staved off a government shutdown with less than three hours to spare. As House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, in an abrupt strategic reversal, offered a plan that won the support of nearly all House Democrats and most Republicans to keep the government open through mid-November. The legislation, which the Senate then passed with broad bipartisan support, marked a stunning reversal after many in Washington expected the government to close at midnight following several failed attempts by House Republicans to agree on spending legislation over the past week. Ultimately, House Democrats supported McCarthy's 11th hour proposal for a 45-day, quote, continuing resolution, including disaster relief funds and extension of federal flood insurance program and reauthorization of the Federal Aviation Administration. All but one Democrat voted to support the legislation, while 90 Republicans voted against it, resulting in a vote of 335 to 91. Uh, The Senate passed the bill 88 to 9, with all nine no votes coming from the GOP. Uh, So just a quick, we're going to break this down further in the in this coming week but this was a huge victory for uh, democrats and it's going to make it basically plays politically incredibly well for them not so much for kevin mccarthy we'll have more on this as i said in the coming week um but i think it's still worth listening to the podcast and i'll break down on what the ramifications are for the republicans who continue to hold the government hostage um, including their own party and Kevin McCarthy, whose tenure as House Speaker is probably not going to be long-lived. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Banter Roundtable podcast. This is your host, Ben Cohen. And I'm Bob Seska. And I'm Justin Rosario. The Banter Roundtable podcast is brought to you by the Banter Newsletter. We rely on our generous subscribers to keep going, so please support us by signing up for a Banter membership today. You can get a 50% discount when you join the community, and you'll get access to all our premium articles and locked archive. You will also be supporting independent, responsible media at a crucial time when our democracy is in peril. Your support is greatly appreciated. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 92 of the Banter Roundtable podcast here with Justin. How are you today? I am awesome. So we have a very exciting show for you today. We're going to be talking about the government shutdown. We're recording on Friday afternoon. Uh, sorry, Thursday afternoon even. Uh, but by the time you hear this, we'll be in the government shutdown, almost certainly. We're going to be discussing the details, what we can expect. Um, the GOP debate that nobody watched. <laughs> Let's talk about something no, literally nobody watched. Uh, Biden joins the United Auto Workers picket line. You know, this week in Trump's never-ending legal woes, then uh, a segment on rap fucking gone wrong with RFK Jr. Uh, then we have our fascist of the week, our sunshine of the week, and in the emergency meeting podcast, 
this week will be talking about YouTube's decision to demonetize Russell Brand, right or wrong? And is this as scary as everybody uh, and the alt left and alt right make it out to be? Um, do they have any good points? We're going to be talking about that. All right. So, government shutdown. Justin, you are the resident government shutdown expert because your wife, Debbie, works for the federal government. So you're always on the front lines in this. And you've had very lots of scary um, uh, times when the government shut down and you haven't been able to pay your rent. Uh, yeah, not fun. It is not, not fun. fun. <laughs> so it, it, it essentially talks have collapsed and we are heading into a government shutdown. And so what's the word on the front lines, Justin? You said you spoke to Debbie. Um, she has been informed, um, her office and presumably throughout the rest of the government. I know they're, they've been telling everybody throughout the government, they're expecting, they've been told to expect somewhere between two to four weeks for a shutdown. Two to four weeks. I mean, that's fairly significant, right? That's fairly significant. So what, what has happened? Why have negotiations fallen apart? Um, that's because they weren't really negotiating, House Republicans were never really negotiating at all in any real way. Um, they were they were arguing among the, the, the well. All right, let's let, let's let's put this in the proper framing here. They were negotiating among themselves. They were arguing among themselves about what to do. They were never talking to Democrats. Democrat House Democrats were never a part of this conversation at all. Originally. House Republicans were arguing about the 12 different spending bills that they have to put forward individually, right? They can't put them all together. That was part of the original deal to get the debt ceiling done uh, back in June and July, back in the summer, right? Mm -hmm. Normally, they squish these all together into a big omnibus bill, and they pass that. And part of the deal that they made with Democrats back in the summer was that they would not do that this time. And the Democrats agreed to that, among other things. It's like, we will do these bills individually because you want it done that way. And, you know, we'll agree to certain other conditions in, in terms of not cutting Medicare and Medicaid, et cetera, et cetera. And in the fall, we will work together to do these 12 spending bills. Now, the House Freedom Caucus decided that we don't like those uh, terms, even though we, you know, our, our party negotiated in good faith to do that. And they reneged on it. They, they just said, no, we're not doing that. And now they can't get these 12 bills to the floor to vote on in the House because they're arguing among themselves to get any of these bills on the floor. They keep trying. They have to pull them back, trying and pull them back. So Democrats haven't even voted on anything at all. And then when McCarthy, like they ran out of time, they're like, okay, well, we have to get a continued resolution out there in order to keep the government running so we don't have a shutdown. The House Freedom Caucus said, absolutely not, unless we put in a whole bunch of deep, um, deep cuts. We'll do the continued resolution unless you allow us to do massive heavy-duty cuts to a lot of really important things that are, you know, poor people use. Like they want to cut meals on uh, meals on wheels. They want to cut money to uh, you know uh, underfunded schools in poor areas, right? They just want to screw as many people as they can. And the Senate's not going to go for that. And obviously, right. House Democrats aren't going to go for that. So this isn't going anywhere. And that's it. And then they just gave up. 
And they said, yeah, we're not going to bother with this. And now they're just focusing on doing an impeachment instead. So unless Kevin McCarthy suddenly grows a spine between five something on Thursday night and midnight on Saturday, there's not going to be a continuing resolution to keep the government open. And we're going to have a government shutdown. Whoopee. Fantastic. Uh, but I mean, look, it does, as, as painful as this is going to be for lots of people, uh, this does bode well, really, for the Democrats, politically speaking, right? Because they are, as we discussed last week, there is nobody to blame. There is nobody to blame other than Republicans for this shit show, right? There's, you ca- they cannot say, even, the press has tried to put this pins on the Democrats too, and the, uh, no doubt the Republicans are doing the same thing, but they can't. Right. So this this doesn't, you know, I always look at things kind of from a political point of view, I guess, uh, and how this will work out. I I don't know if this is the right or wrong thing to do. Sometimes I feel it's like not particularly like the moral thing. Right. Like I I, when they part when they got rid of Roe versus Wade, as obviously as angry as I was about it, I just remember kind of thinking, okay, look. This is bad, but the Republicans have just screwed themselves for the next like eight years, maybe more. Right? It may be, it may be twenty years they've screwed themselves. So this is yes, this is terrible, but electorally, this is like there, there's going to be a seismic change in 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 voting patterns because of this. And I feel like you know this is kind of the way I'm looking at this. Like maybe I'm kind of ignoring the misery that this is going to cause. Um, uh, to thousands of federal workers, but millions. I do see this. Yeah, millions, right? Like, I do see this as being politically good. This bodes well for the Democrats, it and and they're going to keep does. pulling up like this. It, it is this, does, am I wrong? Am I wrong to view things in this way, Justin? I mean, like, if you take a step back, yes, but it's going to hurt a lot. It's going to hurt a lot of people. I mean, it's going to hurt millions. I mean, there are millions of um, government workers, right? So it's going to hurt a lot of families and it's going to hurt those people. It's going to hurt government contractors. Now, the the, the last time this happened, um, Congress passed a law to make it automatic that government workers get their pay. Because every time they do a shutdown, they they pass a they pass a a law, a, a bill that they get their back pay. Right. So as not to punish these people. But. Last time they made it a law that they don't have to keep doing that. Every time it's shut down, it's automatic. The government reopens. These people get their back pay. But that only applies to government workers. It doesn't apply to government contractors. And there's an awful lot of government contract contractors. So while government workers are going to feel a whole lot of pain for the next, you know, however long the shutdown lasts. And, I, and like we were discussing before the show, I don't think this is going to be the long one. I think... The next one's going to be the long one, but that that's a whole different story. But however long it is, government workers will get back pay. The government contractors won't. So they're just screwed. And all the people, and there's a lot of them, that service government workers and government contractors, like you know, all the restaurants, all the cleaners, all the people who supply who supply them with supplies, right? All of those they businesses, get screwed too, yeah. they lose all that business and that business doesn't just come back. Like, you know, if the government's closed for three weeks, that's three weeks of services that 
aren't getting taken care of, right? Even when mm. even when the government workers get their money back, they don't suddenly go out and eat three weeks worth of meals. They don't suddenly go out and get three weeks worth of supplies that they, they didn't use it, so they don't need it, right? So that's just money lost. And that also dings the economy, which, of course, Republicans won't mind necessarily. They, they, would, they wouldn't mind if they hurt the economy because that benefits them politically. But it's it's a lot of people that feel a lot of pain, you know, as someone yeah. who ended up on a fucking food line at a food yeah. pantry. It's I remember embarrassing. That. Yeah, I wrote articles about that. It's embarrassing to, you know, I mean, Debbie had a full had has a full time job and we still ended up at a food pantry because of that. And it was insane that we had to do that because of and it's always because of Republicans. This time it's completely 100 totally because of republicans mm. and it's infuriating that has to keep happening but you know that's what happens when there's republicans yeah and i but i i guess i do i do see this as like this is going to cause a lot of misery but again can biden campaign on this <laughs> like you know what i mean that's what can the democrats campaign on this uh, in the mid you know coming up to the election in 2024 yeah, I mean, right. if they let it go for three weeks, four weeks, a month and a half, then it's going to hurt a lot of people. But man, Republicans are going to take it on the chin. They're yeah. going to pay a price for it because the longer it goes on, the less they're going to be able to blame anybody else. Mm. Hmm. Okay. So, I mean, you think three or four weeks you, you're giving this? Uh, honestly, no. So, all right. So this is what we talked about before the show. I think this this round is going to be very short. They're going to close mm. everything down. It's going to last for a little while, and then they're going to do a continuing resolution. And then because Kevin McCarthy is going to either cut a deal with Democrats and be like, all right, we have to end this, and then he's going to be replaced as speaker. And they're either going he, – he's either going to survive his challenge, which will make him even weaker than before. He's going to get replaced by another compromise candidate who will be even weaker than McCarthy was, or they're going to replace him with a MAGA, a MAGA lunatic, at which point it'll be absolute complete chaos. And once the continuing resolution runs out, they're going to shut the government down for a very long time. So I think it's going to be a shortish shutdown. I mean, I, I don't want this to happen. But I think it's going to be short of shutdown. They're going to have a leadership struggle. And once the continuing resolution f runs out, there's going to be a very extended one, probably starting near Thanksgiving and running through Christmas. Yeah, that, and that, that is my that is my absolute worst case scenario that I would very much like to be wrong about. Yeah. OK. All right. So let's look at then. Instead of working to prevent the shutdown, what did the House do? Um, <laughs> they started impeachment hearings. And uh, they fucked that up too. Yeah. So, um, Jamie Raskin, right? We have uh, <laughs> the top ranking Democrat on the committee. Uh, and he, in his opening statement, um, he, <laughs> this is what he said Clown show, foolish, terribly misguided, stupidity, failure to lead, Raskin said. These are Republican talking talking about Republicans. So let's be clear, this isn't partisan warfare America is seeing today. It's chaotic infighting between Republicans and Republicans. Jamie Raskin, I'd just like to give a shout out to Jamie Raskin. Uh, Jamie Raskin is a Tacoma Park resident. I'm hoping he listens to the banter. He may well do. 
the, <laughs> Hello. The banter. Yeah. Hi, hi, Jamie. No, the the banter is uh, is actually quite well known in Tacoma Park these days because of because of my neighbours and a lot of my neighbours know what I do. So I'm hoping this has got around to Jamie Raskin's listening to this on his journey into work or somewhere um, or on his walk walks in the neighbourhood. So, but yeah. Anyway, this this is really kind of insane, right? That they. And further prove really that the Republican Party is not a political party in any sense of the word. A political party has a sort of uh, some sort of responsibility to govern. They're part of, of the government, um, and they're not governing. They are doing clown shows. There is a freak show. Uh, the impeachment trials based on on an impeachment inquiry based on nothing, based on no evidence of Biden of any wrongdoing whatsoever. But they're going ahead with this. Uh, so we had Jonathan Turley. Um, we had that Jonathan, Jonathan Turley. Say, say again. That Jonathan Turley. Yeah. One, so we're going to who used to mean something. Let, let's listen to this clip. Okay. This is uh, Neil Cavuto, right? Isn't it show? Uh, and I might have missed it. Oh, about furthermore, much talk about this uh, Bruce Trubinsky, this forensic accountant, and a key witness for Republicans. Not enough evidence yet. That's that, that. Those are his words. Not enough evidence yet to conclude Jesus. corruption by the Bidens. Jonathan Turley himself said today that the House does not have such evidence to support articles of impeachment. But this is an opening for an inquiry. So fair enough. But the issues at hand here was getting back to second hand, third hand information that might or might not warrant further investigation. Well, that investigation is on. This inquiry is on. But the promise of explosive testimony and uh, unconvertible proof, that did not materialize today. Now, to be fair, I was off an hour today doing my Fox Business show. <laughs> uh, and I might have missed it. But I went back and looked at what was said and done during the noon hour to 1 p.m. Eastern time. It turns out that no such evidence was presented. Now, to be fair, yeah. <laughs> uh, to be fair, maybe it happened when I was on lunch, and then I went back and checked, and it wasn't there anyway. So, yeah, we do the homework work. <laughs> this is becoming an increasing sort of tactic that you're seeing with these. We've got another clip for you later on where um, a lot of these, uh, a lot of the excuses are. Well, I didn't see it, so I don't know. I haven't looked at it. This is the usual line um, with a lot of these guys when they're confronted with very um, uh, like glaring evidence that. Uh, disproves whatever they're they're trying to to show, and it's always like, oh, I didn't see it, so I don't know. It's like, um, but but it's your impeachment. You should right, know yeah, this. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's another clip we have for you. This is uh, U.S. Representative Jason Smith. He's uh, having an absolute meltdown when an NBC reporter questions the Republican claims of of DOG political interference in favor of Joe Biden before he was president. Just listen to this clip. I know we've played two clips in a row quite back to back, but this is worth it. Can you explain the timing then of the August 6th? What's that? Why is that evidence of some wrongdoing? I'm not an expert on the timeline. I would love to have um, <laughs> President Biden and his family to tell us about all the timelines. But if he's not through... the president or the vice president at that time, where where's the wrongdoing? He wasn't even a candidate for president at that time. He was a candidate in, on, in August 6th of so 2017. Apparently, uh, apparently, what source are you with? I'm with NBC. So apparently you'll never believe us. I'm not um, saying I don't believe but, you. I'm asking you for, I'm asking you a very direct question. You presented a piece of evidence 
that you say came on August 6, 2017, that demonstrates that Joe Biden was using political influence to help his son. And he wasn't a political figure at that time. The first WhatsApp message you put up, how does that demonstrate that there's some sort of political influence being put over him if at that time he is not a political, he's not an elected official? I'm definitely not going to pinpoint one item. I think we've outlined. You presented it. You're, 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 <laughs> so apparently you don't agree with it. So it's not that I don't agree with it. I'm asking it. you to explain it. I'll take the next question. <laughs> yeah, whoops. <laughs> Just just listening to the reporter, it's just like it's it, you're the one that brought it up. What are you talking about? It's amazing. You've got to love these guys. So this is the impeachment impeachment stuff. It's going well, right? It's a oh, very yeah. tightly organized, well sourced, well evidenced uh, uh, endeavor. Were they really going to nail Joe Biden to the wall on this? Right? I, I mean, it's clear they just have thought they were just going to go out there and just kind of wing it. And hope no one. It, you know what it is? It's the kid who goes up in front of his class without having read the book, and just kind of hope no one notices. And he was just gonna bullshit their way through the report, and just figured, eh, I'll just kind of ramble around up here for a while, and I'm so charismatic, and people like me, and no one's gonna notice that I have no fucking idea what I'm talking about. And then they get really mad when someone says, um, little women isn't actually about little people. They're normal sized. What are you talking about? And then they get really mad at you. I mean, that's, that's what's happening here. They just don't want to be asked questions. And it's hilarious. <laughs> it's but that, is, hilarious. that is pretty bad. Right? I mean, you, you can't answer basic questions like, like that, like your own timeline. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's my evidence. What do you mean I have to answer questions about it? Uh, I, yeah. know, I, I thought it'd be pretty straightforward. It's your evidence. You should be yeah. able to answer questions okay. about it. Well, so look, let's, let's move on to the debate. The GOP, this was huge news, right? Massive seismic event in, in politics where the, uh, the GOP primary, the, the second debate took place. <laughs> what? Second what? Deb- there was a debate? Where? <laughs> yeah. Uh, with some some people that showed up and apparently tried to to claim that they were <laughs> they were more electable than Donald Trump for president. Um, yeah. So so there was a debate. I didn't I didn't watch it, uh, and the reason I didn't watch it is because it is inconsequential. And it by that, really I mean, was yes. By that, I mean there is absolutely no chance in hell um, that any of these people are going to beat Trump in the primary. And they are debating. So I'm going to just, this is from Politico. Okay. Uh, here we are. A Monmouth University poll out this week asked Republican voters whether they saw Trump as the strongest Republican candidate for beating Biden. Nearly half, 48%, said Trump definitely was the strongest candidate. And another 24% said he was probably the, the strongest candidate. That combined 72% marked an increase from 63% who thought Trump was the strongest candidate in May. So his polling is increasing. Um, only a quarter of Republicans said another, 25% said another Republican would definitely or probably be a stronger general election candidate than Trump. I mean, honestly, if Trump fell down a manhole cover tomorrow and died, yeah, would any of them still be the candidate? I, I honestly don't know if any of them would still be able to make no. it. Like listen, someone else week, would probably this, step in. 
again from the Politico article in this week's NBC News poll, even though DeSantis trails Trump by a yawning 43 point margin, 59% to 16%, he's still the second choice of 37% of Republicans. So the second choice is 43 points behind Trump. Good Lord. Right? This is, yeah, and, and it's worth noting that Biden leads every other, Biden leads all the other candidates. He leads the Sanders I, I Look, I don't want to get too much into polls, right? Like, the, 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 I do think the primary polls are interesting, right? That That's worth paying attention to. What do the primary polls show you about the GOP? That is interesting because that's more, that's happening now, right? Um, and I think they paint a very, very, very bleak picture for, um, uh, for all of these candidates, Vivek Ramaswamy and and Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley, who are trying their best, they really are. And and Chris Christie, who's really Chris Christie, wants to go out. He he desperately wants to have a face off with Trump. Um, and Trump is not Trump is basically spitting in his face and saying, "I'm not even going to bother debating you because he doesn't need to." Right. And like I give, like it's, it's smart what Trump is doing. He's not he's not debating because he doesn't need to, and it's going to piss them off even more. And the more pissed off they get with him, the bigger and more powerful he looks. That's so, working. Yeah, it's, it's, it's working. It's working. So the, deba- the debate was completely pointless. And there was some guy called Mike Pence that showed up as well, apparently. Mike Pence. Yeah, who was that guy? It was this guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was the that guy that they before. Oh, yeah, it rings a bell, right? Uh, the one who has to have security... Does he have to have security? Oh no, that was Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney has to have round the clock security f- from his own party. Five thousand dollars a day. Yeah, the, in, the completely insane. Um, so yeah, anything? Do you have anything else to add to this? I mean, not Do really. You... I mean, Vivek Ramaswamy is still a douchebag. Nobody likes him. Uh, hmm. Nikki Haley, she's the only adult in the room. But I mean, what's the point? If your entire party is a bunch of temper tantrum toddlers, if you're the mm. only adult and everyone else is toddlers, who cares, right? What are you doing at that point? So, bleh. Yeah. I mean, look, Trump Trump did a counter speech during the, um, that was probably the big, bigger news, right? That Trump spoke in front of the United Auto Workers. Uh, no, he did not. Um, was it, it was, yeah. reported. That he was uh, talking in front of the United Auto Workers, and they had fake signs that he was talking oh. for the United Auto Workers, but he was not, in fact, talking for the United Auto Workers. That was all fake Stage. to make it look okay. like he was talking for the United Auto Workers. He was talking at a non-union shop set up by a bunch of right-to-work douchebags in order to make it look like he was talking in front of uh, union workers. And the news reported it that way because the news is doing a terrible job of actually reporting this. Yeah, gosh. And, um, and, not, and, and not, not to put a too fine point on it, the reason the news accidentally screwed that up is because they wanted to make sure it was a both sides story to go with Biden joining the UAW picket line. And yeah. they didn't want it to make it look like Trump was not doing that. But he was right. specifically not talking to union workers. He was avoiding mm. union workers. But I'm sorry. I just needed to throw that in there. No, no, no. Very good, good point. Um, so anyway, this is, but that was probably I don't know what the viewing numbers were. 
Um, not but, as much as um, when he was talking to Tucker Carlson, because no, I, I have not heard. Probably, yeah, I imagine it was probably bigger than the debate. It got more numbers than the debate itself. Well, that's not much of a. That's not saying much. <laughs> I'm adding a caveat. I don't know this. I'm just. I'm just. I haven't seen the, the figures, but I'm, I'm. I'm guessing it probably was. Um. So speaking of the UAW picket line, um, Joe Biden joined the UAW picket line as the first American, first, first in American history in which the pro union, um, basically all the the left. Uh, our good buddies on the far left, the Bernie Sanders left and the alt left, were were outraged by this. This was not enough ever. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's the first. He's the first American president to join a picket line. Yeah, and they yeah. were quite annoyed about that. Boo hoo. Yeah, no. So, uh, the, the, his and his National Labor Relations Board, right, has been uh, fantastic for unions. Absolutely fantastic for unions. He's one of the most pro-union presidents probably in American history. Yeah, it's it's astonishing how they keep trying to depict him as being anti-union. It's like J- Joe Biden, the guy who grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania, mm. is anti-union. Really? Mm. We're, we're going to go with that storyline. Are you mm. kidding me? The man's been joining union lines since the 70s, and they're pretending that he's anti-union. And the thing that they went with is that, oh, well, what about the railroad strike? And he was bad for the railroad strike. The thing that they, they and we again, we were talking about this before the show. The thing that they're ignoring is that after the strike, which Biden did, he did end that strike, right? Because he, they, you, you can't have the railroad strike. He, you need railroad workers. You can't anymore. You can't have the railroad strike any more than you can have the airline strike, right? It's, it's just you can't have it. What happened after the railroad strike is that the Biden people, you know, um, what you call it, uh, Pete Buttigieg and I forget who the other guy was, someone else involved with transportation. They went in and they pressured the shit out of the railroad companies to give their workers the paid time off and sick leave that the strikers were asking for, which was a big reason why they were on strike in the first place, because they weren't getting time off. They weren't getting sick time and they weren't getting time off. They were practically on call 24-7 for weeks on end, which is insane. And Mm. the Biden people pressured them to not do that anymore after the strike was done. And wouldn't you know it, the the big railroad companies started to give their workers time off. And they put it in their contracts. It's like, yeah, okay, fine. They just didn't do it as part of the strike. But you don't hear that. They don't talk about that on the alt-left, and the news certainly didn't make a big uh, noise about it. They just kind of quietly reported about it and don't say much because, you know, you don't want to give Biden any uh, credit for doing pro-union stuff because, God forbid, and the alt-left will never acknowledge that happened, ever. On the penalty of death, they will never acknowledge that he did that because they'd rather stick with the Joe Biden broke the railroad strike and he's terrible for unions, et cetera, et cetera. So, but you know, again, look, I think this is against also very, very smart politics um, because coming up for twenty twenty four, this is going to be a big deal, right? In the Rust Belt, this is going to be a huge deal. Um, unions are going to play a key role, I believe, in a lot of swing states uh, in the Rust Belt. I do think, like Nevada, for example, as well. Like um, th- th- this, is, they're going to be fighting over union workers as well. 
in, in 2024 for sure. So oh, I think absolutely. Biden, Biden, who is an actual friend of the unions, is is generating a lot of goodwill. So that's very good, as well as being obviously the right thing to do. It's good politics. Well, yeah, um, I mean, there's a reason that Republicans go after unions so hard. Unions are really important. Unions are really important, and they're very good for Democrats. Unions have always been good for Democrats, which is why Republicans engage in union busting whenever they have the chance. I mean, look well, this at- is the, the odd thing about Trump, right? What I thought it was interesting about Trump's economic stuff was that he was, you know, this America for this American nationalism um, that was quite different to the sort of free market. Um, you know, uh, 1990s trade, uh, free trade agreements that, that uh, Bill Clinton got a lot, that got the country into. Right. Uh, uh, so, and I thought that it was kind of interesting, Trump's pivot to, towards doing this. Uh, but then when he got into office, obviously it was all a complete load of bullshit where he was, he was, was terrible for unions uh, and also you know, ran through massive tax cuts for billionaires. Yeah, no, it's he'll say he, he that's the thing with um that's the thing with Republican populism is they say where we love the working poor, we love the middle class, and then they do everything opposite when they get into power. And but they have Ooh. a huge propaganda machine that says, My God, they just love, they love you. They love you, middle America, they love you, working class, even as they're doing exactly the worst thing possible for them. But that's mm. the power of propaganda. That's what that's what Fox News exists for. That's what right wing radio exists for. That even while they're being stabbed in the chest, they're doing it out of love for you. Yep. They, don't don't worry about that knife in your heart. It's a love knife. They love you. It's for your own right. good. And really, you have to watch out for that gay liberal over there. They might be do, they might be up to no good. Don't worry about the knife. It's fine. We love right. you, and they 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 buy it every time. Yeah, well, look. Um, speaking of of Trump, uh, his legal woes. This was ter- this was a very bad, another very bad week. Good God! I mean, how much worse can it get for him? <laughs> yeah. So uh, Bob wrote about it this week. Bob said, um, "This is from Bob's piece this week. Once again, Trump has been proven to be a fraud. This time, by New York Attorney General Letitia James, undermining his bullshit reputation as an alleged successful businessman." accurately reframing his corporate success as a fiction. This time, Judge Arthur F. Uh, Engeron handed down a summary judgment that Trump and his oldest boys committed financial fraud, grossly inflating the Trump organization's assets on loan applications and the like. Consequently, the Trump organization will surely be dissolved and the Trumps may no longer be allowed to operate a business in New York. Oof. Ooh, there goes dear. all their money laundering. Yeah, I mean they've turned. They've really turned on their back on New York. I think. I think they spend most of their time now in Florida. Yeah, but they still have their businesses. They still have all the real estate and stuff. And um, Mar-a-Lago is still. It's in Florida, but it's still owned through the business in New York. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what kind of impact this will actually have on Trump's business. So much, but I mean, it is justice that he that, that he's not won't be allowed to back in New York. That is good. Well, I I read up on that a little bit. If they dissolve his businesses in New York, that mm. is a huge financial hit for him. Remember, his whole thing is real estate, right? And if he loses his real estate businesses based out of New York, that's 
I mean, he doesn't he doesn't have his businesses based in other states. They're based in New York. And if his businesses go away, he doesn't have a business anymore. He could he could reconstitute it somewhere else, but he loses the assets associated with those original businesses. He wouldn't necessarily have to start from scratch, but the bulk of his businesses are run out of New York because that's where he was based all this time. And that's a huge problem for him. That's a lot of money that he, not a lot of money, but that's a lot of assets that he loses and he still owes a lot of money. So, oops, for him. Yeah, I mean, not good. Obviously, it's it's really, it's bad, but it it does... Uh, Bob's piece was interesting in that Bob basically said that look, like most of the country, their bullshit detector is terrible, right? This guy's such an obvious con man, but he's still able to con half the country or at least the, half the voting population into this idea that he's an, actually a legitimate person, that he's a he's a great businessman and um, he's successful, even though it's just without a shadow of a doubt, the guy's been committing financial fraud. No, you also right? have to remember. No bank will touch him anymore. None of the legitimate banks will give him money anymore. They all cut him off. And now well, he's, he, he's <laughs> that's why he's probably why he's running for president, right? Because it's a way for him to generate money. Yeah, well, exactly. But if he wants he's to rebuild his to. if he wants to rebuild his big empire, he's gonna need huge amounts of business loans and no legitimate company, no legitimate banks are gonna give it to him, and he can't go to the Russian banks anymore. Because he's not allowed to do business with the Russian banks anymore. Well, Russia's not allowed to do business with pretty much anybody at the moment. That's what I mean. Like, normally he would just be like, ah, the Russians will give me money. They can't do that now. They can't do that anymore. Right, right. So, Um, this is a problem for him. I don't know how big it's going to end up being, but it's pretty big. Yeah. It's big. Well, it's good. I mean, that's a great, again, another score against the Trump crime family. Um, look, so we got to, yeah, well, let's move on to the, the next subject. We're going to be talking about uh, this is uh, Justin, you were very happy about this. <laughs> about, about gone wrong, uh, RFK Jr., give us the give us the breakdown, okay? So, RFK Jr. Was, was convinced to run originally by Steve Bannon, right? His whole function of getting into politics this way was so he could run against Biden and primary Biden and weaken the left and weaken Biden so Biden would be weaker when running against Trump. That was his function. It was a rat-fucking operation set up by Steve Bannon and the, and the right. That was it. That was always the whole point of this. But as we've been discussing for the last couple of months, RFK has gone down the rabbit hole real fast and real hard. Uh, what do you keep calling it? Audience capture? Yes. Yeah. So RFK has gone completely batshit insane. Now, he no longer sounds anything like a Democrat or even he doesn't even barely he barely sounds like alt left. He sounds almost entirely like a hardcore Republican and he's getting worse. Okay, he's Mm. talking about culture war crap, anti-vax stuff. He's gone in on 9-11 trutherism now. Okay, he's just almost. Full swing right winger at this point. He hasn't quite yeah. gotten all anti-Semitism. He's not all the way there yet, but he's getting real goddamn close. 
So, oh, I mean, he, did, he said that thing about about uh, the COVID vaccine was created to spare Jews. And exactly right. So he he's he's just about fully there now, right? So now he's still talking about running as as a third party. Right? If he if he if the Democrats don't give him a fair shake, he's he's going to run as an independent or a libertarian. If he runs. He's not going to pull any votes from the left. He's going to pull votes from the right. And now this is starting to alarm people on the right. Charlie Kirk is the first person to pop his head up and say, hold on. That's a terrible idea. This is this is starting to sound like some kind of op from the left to hurt Trump. And it's like, oh, no, no, my friend. This was your guy's idea. You thought this was going to hurt um, Biden. And now it has gone badly wrong for you because RFK Jr. has gone batshit insane. And now he's going to hurt Trump if he runs. It has boomeranged. And I'm enjoying every second of them starting to panic because they don't control him. And there's no reason for him to stop. He's enjoying enjoying the spotlight too much from the crazy people. So at this point, I hope he does it. I hope he just continues his journey down the rabbit hole and then he runs and he will absolutely pull votes away from Trump because he he appeals to the really radical crazies. And those are Trump people. That's not ours. They're not our voters. They're never going to vote for Biden anyway. Go for it. And I can just yeah, I, I can just I, smell the panic coming from the, uh, the right wing now. Yeah, he, he really has lost his 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 sheen on the left. I mean, well, <laughs> I wrote uh, earlier this week of Andrew Sullivan um, essentially ignore, is now ignoring. Uh, he, he was very pro RFK, right? He want he was very happy about RFK running against Biden. He was going to inject some life into the election. Uh, he hasn't mentioned this was back in May, and Andrew Sullivan hasn't mentioned RFK Junior again. I'll um, bet you anything. In two, three months from now, four months from now, he'll start complaining that RFK shouldn't be in the election. If yes. it looks like he's threatening Trump, I guarantee he's or that Andrew Sullivan's going to be like, someone needs to get help for RFK Jr. Well, to be fair, to, to be, uh, I'll say this in fairness to Andrew Sullivan, he's he he despises Donald Trump. He despises Donald Trump. So that 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 is one good thing I would say about Andrew Sullivan. But he is absolutely terrible on pretty much everything else, uh, including this. I mean, anybody who thinks that RFK Jr. is a serious person or should be running for president is like I, I would vote for him over Donald Trump but not by much <laughs> I would vote for him only because he would be so ineffectual he couldn't get anything done no 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 I mean but he, he's a joke president he's a joke candidate um, and I think but like the joke is going to play better on the right now I think now he's really kind of gone too far yeah I know um, it's just going to be so much fun to watch them panic. It's like, yes, oh, yes. you lost yeah. control. You lost control of your little of your little t- uh, game there. Ha ha. Yeah. So we'll look, let's go. Let's move. On. We've got our our, um, our fascists of the week this year. Uh, this is uh, we have this week. We have uh, uh, Stu Peters. Um, yeah, he's a nice guy. He seems like a very nice guy. Uh, Stu Peters. What's the background of Stu Peters? He's a Rumble host. Um, uh, this is. Go ahead. Yeah, no, he, he he's 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 a piece of work. Um, yeah, you know, he's on Rumble, you know, the the um, platform for white nationalists. 
And um, he's been, he rants and raves about Jews this and Jews that and how much they should all be killed. I mean, that's literally his whole thing is that everyone he hates should be, should be murdered. Um, so uh, if, if you're not, you, you, you caught the whole thing with Taylor Swift, right? Yeah. That um, she said on um, voter registration day that people should go out and register. She didn't say go register and vote for Democrats. She just said, Go register. And 35,000 people registered in Pennsylvania. Um, and this got Republicans really, really mad. Uh, and, and it's obvious why, right? Pennsylvania is an yeah. important state. They need that state. And Taylor Swift, um, Swifties, Taylor Swift fans, are mm-hmm. overwhelmingly young, overwhelmingly female. And that means they overwhelmingly hate Republicans. I mean, you know, not for nothing. The, that's a that's a demographic that is tailor made for no pun intended for hating Republicans. So you get thirty five thousand of them in a state that is a really close state every single time. Thirty five thousand more than tips it to the left, and that is making Republicans really, really nervous. So they've been ranting and raving about Taylor Swift. So now they're really mad at her. And she's um, been seen out in public with um, with uh, uh, the the football player um, Travis Kelsey Kels. I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I haven't heard it said out loud. But they've been promoting people getting COVID nineteen vaccines, and this is just sending the right into an absolute frenzy. So this guy went on his show, and um, he's ranting about them. Uh, if she's dating some, this is a quote, if she's dating some high-end, you know, football player that is pushing the vaccines, then that's going to raise the probability that they'll go out and get it. Really, his problem is, is that they're going to go out and register to vote. But these people are responsible for murder. They're actually selling their souls and knowingly killing children with a DOD-manufactured, U.S. government-owned and deployed weapon of biowarfare. I mean, these people should be held to serious account. I think, um, oh, and then they go on about you know how they should be prosecuted and hung, indict, try, fry, blah blah blah. So yeah, that's uh that that's um tra- that's um Stu Peters. That that's that's these people. You know, it's like they just want to murder everyone they hate, but they're really really angry that Taylor Swift is getting people to register. They're just bitching about COVID because they can't really say she's getting people to register to vote because that makes them sound completely insane. Mm, delightful right well let's move on to our ray of sunshine our ray of sunshine this week um this time we have uh the writer's strike is ending right um justin you wrote a thing for facebook yes yes okay um i'm gonna read this uh as, as i wrote it um so okay so there's a tentative deal to end the writer's strike i'll bet you money the studio's cave to the Screen Actors Guild soon as well. The studios caved. Want to know why? Thank the Democratic Party of California. Here's the deal. The studios with their billions literally said out loud that they plan to starve out the strikers. Writers and actors do not have the money to stay out of work six weeks, eight weeks, uh, sorry, six months, eight months, 12 months. They have to pay rent. They have families to feed. That was the plan. But a few weeks ago, the Democrats of California proposed and quickly passed a bill that gave unemployment benefits to striking workers. 
Gavin Newsom signed it on September 15th. New York and New Jersey have laws like this. Now California does as well. Like magic, 10 days later, there's a deal reached between the studios and the union. It's almost like the plan to starve out the workers was no longer feasible and the studios decided to surrender rather than keep fighting. That's what it looks like to have a government that is pro-labor. Republicans explicitly passed laws to break unions. Democrats passed laws to support them. Anyone, like the alt-left and the press, who tells you that Republicans are quote-unquote populist are lying to you. Democrats move America forward. Republicans poison everything. And that is your ray of sunshine for the week. Well said, sir. Very well said. Uh, so, look, we're going to end on that note. We have been going to head into the emergency meeting right now. Um, please come and join us there in the emergency meeting. Uh, we do a weekly members-only podcast, uh, a few lovely banter members. Please, please, please become a banter member. You'll be helping us um, stay 100% independent, helping us stay alive. We are, again, one of the few um, remaining. So I wrote a piece earlier this week about the blogosphere. Right, that there's a kind of resurgence of the original blogosphere. Um, whereas back in the early 2000s, there was this explosion of original writers and bloggers who were carved out niches for themselves online, got big kind of cult followings. We were in that group, right? We were, uh, the Daily Banter was part of that. Bob was part of that back in the day. Justin, I think you guys came out a bit later, right? Um, with, yep. um 2010. 2010. 11. We were there yeah. about 2006. So with the rise of Substack, we are now able to, we, we've been here all along. And there are a lot of newbies around, right? There are a lot of new people on the Substack, which is great. But I'm just saying we're still here. We're still independent. <laughs> um, and we're only able to do this because of our readers, uh, because you support us financially. So please get yourself a band of membership. You can get 50% off. Come join us. Keep the old bloggers through alive. We're still here. Um, this week, we're going to be talking about YouTube's demonetization of Russell Brand's channel. This is big news. A lot of people are, are outraged by it. A lot of people think this is bigger than the news story itself. Is that fair? Uh, we're going to be discussing this. I think we, Justin and I may disagree on this. Uh, I have a feeling. So anyway, join us in for a, uh, a spirited debate, and uh, we will see you next week. Adios.